0: Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and bought them to the top of a very high mountain where they were alone. He was transformed in front of them and his clothes were amazingly bright, brighter than if they had been bleached white. Elijah and Moses appeared and were talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we're here. Let's make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't know how to respond, for the three of them were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice spoke from the cloud, this is my son, whom I dearly love. Listen to him. Suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them not to tell anyone what they had seen until after the human one had risen from the dead. The word of the Lord.
1: Uh, will y'all pray with me? Lord, we give you thanks uh, for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the ways that you speak to us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I have this two big mental file for like strange and probably apocryphal statements that have just stuck in my brain and like churn to the front of things way too often and one of these is a story that may or may not have happened and it doesn't really matter if it did um, and it involved the reformer Martin Luther, not to be confused, excuse me. <laughs> with Martin Luther King, when asked what Martin Luther uh, would do if he knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would he do today? Does anyone know this story? When asked if he knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would he do today? You may assume he'd say something about repenting, right, or evangelizing, or getting his spiritual house in order. Or maybe something a little more romantic uh, like, and when I say it, I loosely mean romantic, Like, uh, like my grandfather on his deathbed said he wanted to stay alive long enough to see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win the Super Bowl. And he died happily the Friday after Super Bowl 37 having seen the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win the Super Bowl. Instead, Martin Luther quipped, I would plant a tree if I knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow. This idea lives rent free in my head, right? It's so odd, it's so beautiful, I'm very jealous because I don't think I would be able to come up with such a thing. Built into that answer is this ease and this trust in this curiosity. It stands to reason if this little seedling of an apple tree is beautiful and full of potential as it is, how much more so in the life of the world to come? How much more so in Jesus' coming kingdom? Built in is a trust that God mysteriously holds things together what is, what will be, who we are, who we are becoming. Built-in is a faith that our work and our prayer and our joy and our sorrow here have some sort of eternal significance. We don't really know how that's going to come out in the wash. But rather than going to hell in a handbasket, this place is heaven in a city coming to us. This whole place, our whole selves. This place might be transfigured. 1 Corinthians 15 says something along those lines. That we will all be changed someday. In an instant, in the blink of an eye, the final trumpet, the trumpet will blast, and the dead will be raised with bodies that won't decay, and we will be changed. Whoa. So a year ago, on this transfiguration holiday, in the back of our collective imaginations, this kind of hope, that things might change kind of danced. It's a little bit melodramatic in hindsight, but at the time, it seemed like our ministry days in this neighborhood might be numbered. Do You all remember how that felt uh, this time last year? We didn't know if we'd be able to stay in the building even by Easter, and we didn't really have a plan or a place to go at that point. There were a lot of emotions swirling uh, among leaders but also the congregation we're struggling to hold together all the things that we're feeling sorrow, rage ish, fear, uncertainty, but also some sort of rustic, cobbled together, scotch taped hope and trust. So we decided to plant, as anyone does, wildflowers. <laughs> when you're feeling all those things, just plant flowers. Pastor Meg suggested it on a Tuesday. Gwen tilled the garden in the shape of the cross a couple days later. And then by Sunday, we were all out there together, look, something like that, sowing thousands of seeds, more seeds than we could count. Into a ground that we didn't know whether or not we'd be around to get to see the blooming. I'm not going to lie, there's also a little bit of like a stick it to the Baptist man stubbornness of it all in our wake. We might not be there, but there would be a flaming orange cross shaped patch of flowers that someone would have to deal with if they wanted to manicure the lawn or like <laughs> build a high priced condo or something. <laughs> Throughout the Lenten season, a season of That is coming, a season that's a time of prayer and preparation and repentance and returning again and again to the dust that we're made from. Well, there was mostly just dust and dirt after we planted. And then there was this weird season where it it just looked like a bunch of weeds and we were checking the package on the seeds that we bought and we're like, man, did we get scammed here? It was only after celebrating resurrection and heading towards Pentecost that we started to see blossoms. Pastor Meg faithfully harvested and dried these blossoms on screens. I think that was probably a prayer practice in and of itself for her. And then Sadie made dye and printed this cloth. And we got to take away in this season of ministry in this place um, what we couldn't have foreseen in this time. We, we got to take something with us. This transfiguration fabric kind of physically holds together without words. There's no writing on this. The memory and the hope, the sorrow and the joy, the soil and the harvest. The, these are like tangible memorials to God's faithfulness. And creativity and beauty and goodness and the absurdity of God's timing. A couple weeks ago, I wore this stole leading a funeral prayer at Duke Gardens. In a couple weeks, on the verge of spring, I'll wear it again at a family wedding in Florida. All these things are being held together. So we peer into Mark's gospel that Topher read. And we see this enigmatic instance of Jesus' disciples getting a glimpse into, like, the burning hot center of things as Jesus holds it all together. This moment has it all. (laughs) It starts with, after six days, and so even subtly, without even knowing it, the scene is set into some sort of creation story. The first day, the second day, on up to the sixth day, and then after six days, the seventh day. But it also kind of sounds the alarms for us of some sort of Sabbath rest. That's what happens on day seven. So Jesus is holding all of these things together, the work of the world and the patience and care and the rest of God and the the rest that we're called into. Sometimes it doesn't feel like these things can hold. When our work holds us hostage or our home life is like this powder keg ready to explode, we need these things held together. And then Jesus takes his buddies up on a mountain. Again, the bells start to go off. When there are mountains, always be thinking Moses in the Bible, right? That is the guy in the place where God communicates and communes. This resonance only grows louder When Jesus' clothes begin to shine brightly, like some sort of display of God's glory and presence, like Moses' face shone when he retreated off of Sinai. Again, here we see Jesus in Jesus' own body, holding together presence with God and communion with others. And sometimes this doesn't feel like it can hold for us. Feels like in order to spend quality time with God requires some sort of mountaintop experience, but we get our mail and we live our lives down somewhere in a valley. Then in Mark's passage, the echoes get louder, and Mark is making sure we don't miss what is going on. Elijah and Moses themselves show up. Jesus is holding together. Jesus is standing right in the middle of them, the, the prophets and the law, like the quintessential prophet and the, the, the bearer of the law. And Jesus is holding it together. And sometimes it feels like these things don't hold for us. It feels like most often we have to choose and never have great choices between listening with attentive ear to prophetic calls for justice and return, but also like orderly reminders of who we've been and where we've come from. And Jesus stands in the middle. Then a cloud overshadows them. And again, this is Exodus stuff written all over it, right? A cloud and a voice. This is my son whom I dearly love. Listen to him. Not exactly subtle. This is a, a long echo reverberating from Psalm 2. You are my son today. I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. Or from another mountain called Moriah where Abraham was commended for not withholding his son, his only son, whom he loves. It's here in this strange and dramatic scene that we come to know the good news that Jesus is this collision of God and humanity personified. Jesus is holding it together. God's words to creation and creation's response to God Sometimes that doesn't feel like it can hold. The past and the present, knowing that this place isn't all there is, but also caring deeply about what it means to be a creature in a community of creation. This is all so unstable, this held-together reality. (laughs) I love how Peter does respond, though. Peter is also like a cipher for the church, remember Peter, the rock upon which the church is built. What, what Peter's saying and doing is, is kind of what we are, tend to say and do. And Peter's just like stumbling over his words. He says, teacher, it's good for us to be here, you know. Thanks, Pete, you know. But it is good. It's great. It's a grace when we get to see and when we get to, to recognize the too muchness of God that surrounds us at all times, all of this holding together means that that this place is so dense, it's so tightly wrapped in God's grandeur and most of the time we, we don't have the attention or the patience or the curiosity or the capacity to look beyond the surface of things. We can only see joy or sorrow or strife or fatigue. We can only feel one thing at a time so often in when we start to feel conflicted, we, we feel like something's wrong with us or the world. But what if that's just part of the richness of it all? What if beginning to see and feel even a little bit more of this is waking up to the way God in Christ by the Spirit is holding all these realities together? One kind of example of this, or, or, or what my mind uh, went to in in a simple way that this works out. I, I actually flash back to college when my roommates and I um, first got sucked into the fact that you can buy a cheap color printer if you don't care how much ink is gonna cost you in the future. Um, and I think we went like two and a half years without buying a yellow cartridge. And so we just, you could print in color, but you're not gonna have yellow or orange, right? Um, and And so this is the way, to some extent, color in our eyes work, the way even most cheap color printers work. At any given time, we just see this color image, but there are multiple separations happening all the time, all at once. Overlapping, interpenetrating to give us what we see. Cyan, magenta, yellow, black, they're all present all at once. And every layer adds more depth and detail. Peter, James, and John get a glimpse behind the curtain. They get this little kind of glitch in the matrix, this thin place that they're invited into, and it blows their minds. And Peter hustles towards hospitality. This, again, is a good impulse for Peter. But he's using old categories. Categories... um, that he already has, and, and that attempt to kind of contain this uncontainable mountaintop phenomenon. He says, let's set up some tents for them. Let's make monuments. Let's, let's set up these little booths. And again, this is an appropriately generous thing that Peter says and does. When God and God's messengers come to you, you make room for them. You blow up the air mattress. You put out fresh towels. You scramble to get the place ready. There's a whole harvest time feast called Sukkot where good Jews would build huts to remind them of desert wanderings and the ways that God shows up to them even in their in-between time and place, even in their transiency as immigrants and sojourners. But as Pete scrambles to, to make these booths, they are then overshadowed they are overwhelmed, and it says they feel terror. They feel very afraid, megaphobos. <laughs> because a cloud comes and a voice booms and reminds them that it is only Jesus. It is always only Jesus. Verse 8 of the message paraphrase says, The next minute the disciples were looking around, rubbing their eyes, seeing nothing but Jesus, only Jesus. And it will only ever be Jesus. Even as they come down from the mountain and are sworn to silence for the Son of Man's resurrection... And this is, again, a wild detail considering Jesus hasn't even yet been sent to the cross and Mark's gospel doesn't have a resurrection appearance. Even when invisible to the naked eye, again, Jesus is holding all of these things together, cross and resurrection, suffering and new creation, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So at the end of this, we're given a charge and an invitation First, the invitation, this invitation comes to us in this coming season. This this transfiguration cusp of Lent, starting with the way we'll gather Tuesday to transfigure by means of fire, it's super cool. These palms are so dry, they burn in like 30 seconds. So don't come late and don't leave early, it happens fast. The most exciting 30 seconds in sports, right? (laughs) And, and what is happening there the, in this transfiguration is last year's past-their-prime, ironically-victorious palms from Palm Sunday turn into dusty dirt, which reminds us that at our core, we're carbon too. <laughs> so never accuse Christianity of not having a lot going on at all times, right? Then, so we make this dust... Out of this highly charged liturgical artifact, and then we rub it in between our eyes in the shape of a cross. a sign to ourselves and our neighbors that we sin and that we're going to die. Yeah. Something like that. If you thought Oppenheimer was depressing, merge Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday in one day. It's beautiful. It, Beautifully ironic when these things come together. It's amazing. But we're not to despair. It's precisely in ashes that God brings the oil of gladness. Isaiah 61 says that. All, all of these conversions, all of these transfigurations happen out of, out of sorrow. God brings joy out of ashes, oil of gladness. It's in the barren winter seedbed that wildflowers are already growing even before we can see them. God makes beautiful things out of dust. So during Lent, we're invited to grow in our awareness and our capacity to pray. And we'll focus especially on using these broken bodies and all of our senses and facilities to pray during Lent. Hopefully, like Peter, we can do some beholding and have their wherewithal that it is indeed good for us to be here because God is here with us. And then the charge, the charge is, is simple. It's to grow in obedience even as we grow in belovedness. His voice says, here's my son whom I love deeply and whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him mic drop God's beloved son who holds all these things together let us listen to him We all pray with me Lord Jesus we give you thanks for uh, the ways that you are working um, in our lives, in our world ways that are subterranean ways that are the the bottom of the, the iceberg that we don't even see, we can't even conceive. Open up our imaginations, our expectations um, to all the things that you are doing, all the things you're holding together, all the things that you're calling us into the experience of. We we echo with Peter that it is indeed f- good for us to be here. Help us uh, listen to you.
0: Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.